From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. The idea of making slavery reparations to the descendants of the 12 and a half million people who were shipped in chains from Western Africa has been in and out of the news for years with no action until this past spring. Three decades after it was first written, legislation to create a commission to study reparations cleared the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. It's called House Resolution or H.R. 40. The deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and other black Americans have focused attention on racial inequality and renewed debate on how to address and make amends for enslavement and racism. In this episode of Straight Talk, we find out more about what H.R. 40 would mean if passed, what steps Oregon is taking in that direction, and the call for reparations in Portland. Welcome to my guest, Cameron Witten. He's a Portland activist, founder of the racial justice nonprofit Brown Hope, and co-founder of the Black Resilience Fund. State Senator Lou Frederick also joins us. He represents North and Northeast Portland. He was a reporter here at KGW for 17 years, and he was also the public information officer for Portland Public Schools for 13 years. Also joining us, Dr. Carmen Thompson. She's a visiting scholar in the Black Studies Department at Portland State. She was a co-guest editor of the Oregon Historical Quarterly's special issue on the state's white supremacist past. Dr. Thompson was born and raised in Northeast Portland and grew up on Alberta Street, where her mother still lives. Welcome to Straight Talk, everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Hello Glad there. to be here. Cameron, let's begin with you. Tell us a little bit more about what HR 40 is and what it would do and why you think it's important. Thank you, Laurel. Uh, it is a privilege to be here with Dr. Thompson and Senator Frederick on this important conversation. And, you know, our organization, Brown Hope, is focused on racial justice and looking at how we can foster healing for the traumatic impacts of racism. And it's very opportune that we are talking about HR 40 because it would establish something historic that has never happened before in United States history. And that is establishing an official commission to study the tangible impacts of slavery and other discriminatory acts against African-Americans and also proposing real solutions to foster truth and reconciliation and healing from centuries of racial divide. Thank you, Cameron. And Senator Frederick, your great-grandfather was enslaved from birth in Mississippi, and you shared some photos with us. We have one of you as a little boy with your 103-year-old great-grandfather. Tell us a little bit about your family's history. Well, I was lucky. Thank you again, Laurel, for inviting me back back into KGW for a bit. Um, I, my, my, great, uh, my family has uh, quite a history. Uh, my great-grandfather, as you, as you said, my, uh, was enslaved uh, and in fact uh, at when at when the Union Army came through uh, Vicksburg Mississippi he helped fight with them and uh, as a result was uh, given a a, a a rifle and uh, eventually 40 acres uh, as well uh, some of that uh, some of that was taken away from him during reconstruction so we have quite a family history of what 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 when, what took place there uh, we have um, We've had a number of things uh, take place, and we've seen what's happened uh, since, certainly since Reconstruction, and the way that certain things have happened regarding um, voting rights and economic issues and education issues and health issues. Uh, that's part of my family's legacy, as well as the attempt to try to 
to change that and to change that for other people. So that's what we've been trying to do. Uh, most of my family is part of that, that whole effort for, for decades, for more than a century or more. Well, do you think reparations, senators, should be made for what happened to your great-grandfather, family, and so many others? Well, I think reparations need to be considered for not just what happened to them, but the, the legacy of what happened to them. It's not just those particular people. We're talking about a situation where people have not been able to, to uh, have money for, for businesses, to be able to, uh, to have homes that were their own, uh, that had to deal with education issues that were much more of a struggle than, than they should have been. So there's a, a wide range of issues that we have to deal with in terms of reparations. Right now, the healthcare situation is, a, is one at the top of the list. Uh, a lot of folks are struggling just to, to stay healthy, and certainly with the pandemic, they've been studied, uh, struggling to stay healthy as well. And a lot of that's because of pre, some of the pre-existing conditions that are the re result of a number of things that have taken place since, since slavery and, and, and not being able to, to, um, to stay in healthy situations, as well as some basic um, racist issues that unfortunately we've seen as well, where we found that uh, in some medical schools, some or in some hospitals, there was a belief that African Americans didn't didn't really get as much pain, so they didn't need to be given the kind of treatment that other folks were given. So there's a there's a long range, a long long list of issues that are the result of slavery uh, that have been that continue today. Let's bring in Dr. Thompson. Uh, your focus in a lot of your historical research has been on white supremacy in the U.S. and how it's been institutionalized and woven into many national and state policies. How do you think reparations fit into addressing that? Um, I think it's one part of it. And uh, frankly, um, the most important part, in addition to reparations, which is owed and which is due, right, for the things that happened to Senator Frederick's family and so many other uh, people of African descent. But what, in addition to that, and I think um, Cameron's uh, group's work speaks to this, is, is really looking at the structural issues in our society that allowed us to be in the place that we are in now. So that the fact that we need reparations means that there was a structure of white supremacy in place that, um, specifically targeted African-American people and specifically were locking them out. And so, um, and that again began um, from the time that African-Americans um, arrived. Um, so, you know, you've heard of the 1619 project. So just for the sake of argument, you go from 1619 through the Civil War, right? And, and then from the Civil War all the way through the um, 1960s and beyond where it was legal, um, legal policy to um, discriminate against African-Americans, both at the local, state, national, federal level, and particularly in the United States. And so when you have a policy of enslavement, when you have a structural policy of discriminating against African-Americans, you have a structure of white supremacy that was um, geared towards African-Americans and locking them out of every sector of society. So uh, like uh, Senator Fredericks mentioned, you have the health care, you have housing, you have finance, you have economics, um, you have um, so many areas, education, 
all of these areas um, have been in place. And so just because now that African-Americans can vote and just because they can sit next to you know, a white kid in school does not mean that the, structure, the structures that were in place to make those things happen have changed. The only thing has changed is that now I can sit next to a white kid or now that I can work here and now that I can go into a store or stay overnight in a hotel. But the problems that um, cause that, the policies, the rules, that caused that to happen, the mechanism and methods that put that in place, that is still there. So reparations will address um, the what is owed from the past, but the structure that caused that to happen is still intact. And that's where I would like to see work done. And it sounds like that um, the work that uh, Cameron's organization is doing, and of course, uh, Senator Fredericks at the legislative level, all of those things um, will work together to help solution to those structures. Let me bring Cameron back yeah. in here. There's some controversy over who exactly should get the reparations. Should it just be for the descendants of people who were enslaved, Cameron? Yeah, it's a, it's a great conversation. And that's part of the reason why I really, and so many of us are advocating for HR 40, is for us to really have a real intentional conversation on what we mean by reparations. Reparations is a word just like any word and it can apply to different situations. We're specifically talking about reparations in the context of enslaved black people in the United States. But reparations applies to any situation in which healing is necessary. For example, uh, in the United States, reparations was passed, you know, signing a law by President Ronald Reagan for Japanese Americans who'd experienced internment for about four or five years here in the United States. Just in Australia, they pass reparations for the Aboriginal people in that country. And so reparations can apply to different situations. What we do know is that when it comes to the original sin in America, which is slavery, we have not ever had a real public reckoning, whether it's been truly studying the impacts of slavery, not just looking at the beginning ending of slavery, but the truth and the fact that slavery itself as an institution beget additional forms of discrimination that first promised land to black folks, took land away from many black folks, then passed Jim Crow, then forced people into slavery through mass incarceration, then followed with housing discrimination, educational discrimination, healthcare discrimination, all of these things that happened not just after slavery, but happened because of slavery and the discrimination and racism towards African-Americans that persisted even after the Emancipation Proclamation. And so we as a country have never truly taken account and held up our moral bargain for justice and equality for the descendants of enslaved black people and the inequalities, the disparities that we see today that are literally killing our fellow Americans. We can do something about H.R. 40 is finally giving us an opportunity to hold ourselves accountable, to truly figure out how we can work together as a country to carve a path forward for healing in our futures. Well, let's bring uh, Senator Frederick back in. The Oregon legislature passed Senate Joint Memorial 4, which asked the federal government to consider the issue of reparations for the descendants of formerly enslaved people. What's the significance of, of the legislature passing that, Senator? Well, I think it, it adds to the, the chorus of people, uh, chorus of groups across the country uh, to, uh, and regarding uh, resolution number 40, it is, it's going to be, we hope that it will basically 
add to that that constant question about what are we going to do in this situation and why do we need to do it and how will we do it uh, that we have uh, the the resolution does not say how something should be done and I think Cameron is very right is right on target there it says that we need to be considering it in a very public manner and we need to do something about this the reparations itself could be financial it could be uh, it could be uh, in terms of housing it could be in terms of a number of things but reparations is something that we think we need to consider and that's what that's what the resolution says from the, from the state of Oregon now we had two bills that were specifically talking about potential reparations from the state of Oregon uh, they did not go very far but we they at least had a hearing and people were able to began the discussion because for for decades people have been talking about this in the black community but it, it rarely got a public hearing. Now it's gotten a public hearing and, and this, this helps quite a bit. I know you told me you plan to bring that back up. I want to localize the institutionalized racism, the frustrations over inequities and racial injustices have been building in Portland for decades. KGW produced a documentary in 1967 about the historically black neighborhood of Albina in Northeast Portland. Reporter Richard Ross examined how black Portlanders have been marginalized and the Albina neighborhood had been overlooked by city leaders for development and educational opportunities. He said, if not addressed, those injustices could lead to bigger problems. Here's a clip from 1967. And now there is talk of a black revolution. Stokely Carmichael has warned that the makeshift plans put together every summer by city administrators to avoid rebellions in the ghettos are merely buying time. He said they can continue to provide portable swimming pools and hastily built play areas but there is a point beyond which the steaming ghettos will not be cooled off. And when the dynamite goes off, we can't blame outside agitators or communist influence or advocates of black power. That dynamite was placed there by white racism and indifference. I think a lot of them fail to understand the fact that we're people. We suffer the same anxieties. We want to have the same things in life. But for some reason, he looks at uh, the Negro as being something from a lesser station in this scheme of mankind. Dr. Thompson, you grew up in Albina in the 1970s. Your mom still lives there, but it's changed a lot. What was the community like? What have you seen happen to your community? Well, we've seen gentrification on Alberta. I mean, many people go to Alberta now for the Alberta Street Fair, and it's not just Alberta on Mississippi and Williams, and oh, isn't this nice, and isn't it lovely? Um, but these were neighborhoods that um, African Americans were segregated in. Um, when they talk about it, the Black neighborhood and historically Black neighborhoods, talking about it in a way that um, is, you know, kind of nostalgic, the reason why we have a black neighborhood is because of redlining, is because of segregation, is because of white supremacist structure that said that black uh, Americans have to live in a certain neighborhood. Every city in the United States has a black neighborhood. You just ask somebody, where's the black neighborhood at? And they'll tell you, and they have that history. And it's not because all the black people decided to live there. It's because of the policies and practices through urban planning and zoning uh, policies Portland Development Commission and various other um, uh, planning and urban development commissions have segregated African Americans into certain neighborhoods. And because of that, um, housing values, if they were, did have a home ownership, the housing values were, were suppressed. Um, um, and, and, you know, as far as renting, 
you know, the prices um, have gone up because of gentrification. Um, so uh, African Americans were segregated into certain neighborhoods, and then the and because of that, prices um, being uh, suppressed and the home values, we know that um, education uh, is tied to property taxes. So the money that goes to the schools are tied to the property taxes. So that means you increase the institutional racism so because you segregate people to a certain neighborhood, home values are suppressed, access to loans and capital and home ownership, which creates uh, family wealth are, are, are decreased. And then you have the fact that you have um, the, the various policies and practices from the uh, schools um, that um, keeps um, African-American um, into certain schools that have uh, poor resources. Uh, doctor, I need to bring uh, uh, Senator Frederick back in here because we're running out of time in this segment. But I, uh, Senator Frederick did do uh, also a documentary in 1980 on Albina. And Senator, many families were displaced by urban renewal as Dr. Thompson's been talking about the Coliseum, the expansion of Legacy Hospital, I-5. Should reparations be made in Portland to them? Well, I think they should be absolutely. We have we have a situation where, in fact, uh, it was it was decisions by the city council to make sure that black folks were only in a certain area that they were not going to allow people to come in. In fact, the, the 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 city council at one point called the urban league, the head of the urban league, in and told him that he that they wanted uh, him to force black people to move back into the south and move out of Portland. I mean, they, they were we're talking about some pretty straightforward latent sort of things that took place and they have not been with, with the, the, many of the families lost homes and lost value and lost collateral for, for putting together businesses and education and and uh, and other things as well so uh, yes i think there's a there's a, a significant case that can be made especially for those families that were forced to move out of the memorial coliseum out of the i-5 situation out of the emmanuel hospital we have we still have a a block on the Emmanuel, Emmanuel Hospital that's been empty, I think, since 1962. That was the black the black business district at one point, uh, and it was it was raised, and we still haven't seen an, an an answer for that. We still haven't seen a change. Now I understand that there's something underway now, but that's I think going back. That's almost 60, 50 years, 60 years. So I have to stop really, you there, Senator. Uh, we need to take a break. Uh, what would reparations look like, and how much could it cost? We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about the push in Congress to pass a resolution to study making reparations or restitution to black Americans who are descendants of slaves. Welcome once again to my guest, local activist and co-founder of the nonprofit Brown Hope, Cameron Witten. Oregon State Senator Lou Frederick, who represents North and Northeast Portland, and local historian Dr. Carmen Thompson. Welcome once again. So nice to have you all here. Let's talk about the types of reparations you'd like to see when we talk about that. There's disagreement over how they should be made, from direct payments to housing grants and college tuition. What do you think is the best way to make reparations? And we'll start with Cameron. Thank you, Laurel. Uh, let's be clear, there is no specific right course way to push for reparations, but we need to have that conversation. And that is why we need this commission that HR 40 would establish for us to hear expert testimony, for us to hear the stories, the, the lived experiences of people who are descendants of slaves, uh, because the reality is clear. 
if you are a black American, black American living in the United States right now, you are less likely to see the same amount of educational success or the same amount of services, housing access, uh, jobs and wealth, life expectancy. We're seeing disparities in every single area. And we do know that reparations can have an impact in all of these areas. Most importantly, I think it's very important for us to acknowledge that the original crime of slavery was built upon a profit motive. And when we look at the wealth of this country, the businesses, the bridges, everything that's been built in this country, we saw white Americans, both slave owners and those who just participated in this economy developing wealth. And we did not see that opportunity for wealth development exists for black Americans. Some are, might argue never, some might argue just about 30 years ago. And so we do need to look at the economic costs of reparations uh, and really establishing a way for reparations to have a tangible impact in closing the wealth gap in our country. What do you think, Dr. Thompson? Um, first, I think there needs to be a racial audit of every sector of um, Oregon society. So government at the state, local level, um, in education, housing, government, um, financial, every sector, healthcare, housing, all the way back to at least Oregon statehood, going forward and look at the ways in which each business individual in that sector an organization in that sector outright discriminated against African-Americans and then to study the economic effect and other effects that that has had, then we can kind of have a, a view of what really is the damage. And once we know that, then we can begin to specifically target how we can remedy that. And Senator, a Duke University professor said it could cost 10 to $12 trillion to make reparations and close that wealth gap. That's an incredible mm -hmm. amount of money. Uh, how do you think the nation should pay for that, Senator? Well, the nation is, uh, is actually managed to benefit much more than that from, the, from what uh, African-Americans have done in this nation, as Cameron pointed out. The history is such that the the, uh, the the financial gains that took place in terms of this nation in all sorts of areas uh, in education and they're looking at at some of the the Ivy League colleges have finally begun to acknowledge that they received their their endowments by primarily from slavery ships um, when you when you start looking at what what has happened in terms of, of of other places in the south and in the east and other places where 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 enslaved people did the work. I mean, the, let's be real clear. The White House was built by slaves. The White House itself was built by slaves. When, when you start to look at all these kinds of things, that, that so that uh, the the amount of money is not one of those things that, frankly, uh, uh, is 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 a a deal maker for me because, in fact, we know that 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 money has been spent or has been been used uh, for other things, uh, and we need to try to address it. How we address it is the question that H.R. Uh, 40 is attempting to do, and I think we're going to have a good, solid discussion on just that. I want to give Cameron a chance to wrap this up for us. About 45 seconds, Cameron, for a final thought. Thank you. Um, so I would just say about paying for reparations, 
I believe in this country. I believe that the imagination and the courage is here to truly advance reparations for the descendants of enslaved black people is going to take all of us coming together with moral righteousness to do that work. Both, we need to see reparations on that federal level, but I do applaud the imagination that we have seen with businesses, universities, even nonprofits like Brown Hope that have taken the cause of reparations in their own hands. So we need every single person to be thinking about reparations as a household conversation, finding ways to get behind HR 40 to get that passed, but also finding ways to bring reparations into your very own communities. We are the ones that we are waiting for. Well, I want to thank, thank my you. guest, Cameron Witten, Dr. Carmen Thompson, Senator Lou Frederick. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this important topic. I hope that we can continue this conversation later on. And thank you for watching and listening here on Straight Talk. We do have a podcast that you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next week when we talk about the extreme heat wave and how Multnomah County has responded. That's coming up next week on Straight Talk. Have a great week.